Life Audio. Hello, welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we discuss powerful truths to counter anxiety and fear, big and small. At Holy Love Ministries, we are passionate about helping God's children discover, embrace, and experience soul-deep emotional and spiritual freedom, and we want to inspire you to share that freedom with others. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn about one of our upcoming events, how to book one of our speakers for your next event, or simply how to connect with us. Before we begin today's discussion, I wanted to share about a fun giveaway I am hosting in December. I will be selecting one person randomly from my newsletter subscriber list to receive a book bundle. In that bundle includes Stand in Confidence by Amanda Pittman, Remaining You While Raising Them, The Secret Art of Confident Motherhood by Allie Worthington, Rooted, A Girlfriend Gathering Study of Philippians by Becky Harling, Better Than Okay, Finding Hope and Healing After Your Marriage Ends by Brandy Wilson, and A Faith That Will Not Fail by Michelle Couchette. If you are not a subscriber, you still have time to subscribe to my newsletter and get in on the drawing. You can do so by visiting my website, Jennifer Slattery Lives Out Loud. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing. I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and I feel it's safe to say we have all experienced opposition, and we will again. Jesus told us in John chapter 16 to expect people to rise up against us, to try to silence our voice, and to thwart our God-given mission. And that is not fun. In fact, it can feel quite painful and unsettling. It might even make us feel anxious and afraid. Resistance, especially when experienced for any length of time, it can trigger our anxiety and insecurities. We might fear that we don't have what we need to successfully do everything that we've been asked. And maybe we fear that we'll fail because maybe we believe the lie that we're alone in our struggle. But my guest, Karen Whiting, and I hope by the end of this episode, you will realize that is simply not true. Karen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Karen Whiting is an international speaker, a former television host, and author of 
34 books, including Bible studies and stories of faith and courage from the home front, from the French and Indian Wars to the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. She and her late husband raised five children as they moved around the country while he served in the U.S. Coast Guard. She enjoys time with her children and her grandkids. Karen also enjoys travel and adventures like camel riding in the Canary Islands, white water rafting in Australia, so you know she's got some courage there, scuba diving off Bermuda's coast, and exploring archaeology sites in Italy. So Karen, you have experienced a lot of fun adventures. Yes, I I have. And it's it's been fun. I've also experienced times when I needed courage because of natural disasters and things. Yeah, life can be really unsettling at times. To our listeners, if you are familiar with biblical history, you might also be familiar with the time period that we're going to be discussing today. And this occurred after God's people had been living in exile for 70 years. And then once those seven decades ended, God miraculously orchestrated events that resulted in numerous exiles returning to Jerusalem, their homeland. And initially, that must have felt daunting and probably painful. While they were technically returning home, they had to leave an area into which they'd sunk deep roots. And they also had to travel a considerable distance, some 900 miles, which would have taken about four months. And that, of course, is without air conditioning or a fast food or restaurant in sight. That's a lot of time for fears and doubts to arise and potentially just growing stronger and stronger with every step. When Ezra was given permission to go back, Cyrus didn't just let him go. He equipped them with so many things. He gave them a total of 5,400 gold and silver articles. You can find that in Ezra 1. And once they arrived, the people donated another 61,000 gold coins, 6,250 pounds of silver, and 100 robes for the priests. All of this to help the rebuilding and reestablishing the temple and the ability to have the temple worship, which while they were in Persia, they had earned money. They had lived okay to bring that much gold and silver with them and to be allowed to take it with them. So they're coming thinking, we can do anything because look at how we have been equipped between God and the king. Yeah, well, nice. especially if you think about, so Ezra was leading, was one of the leaders of this like return. And if you think about it, a pagan king is blessing their journey, is, is giving them all of their supplies and workers. And that had to be just, only God could do something like that, right? Only God could turn the heart of a pagan king to say to a bunch of his people, hey, you can go somewhere else, go to your homeland, and I'm going to gift you with things so that you can be successful in this journey. That had to be mind-blowing. And I wonder, sometimes, at least for me, when there's a really big God moment beginning, I can be caught off guard than when I later face opposition. Or I will expect, like, when I do face opposition, I will just automatically assume, okay, well, God, you called me on this. It was this big, miraculous beginning. You're going to take care of everything I encounter, and you're going to do so quickly and easily. And I can't help but wonder if that was how the Jewish people felt when they were returning. Like, what did they expect as far as what lay ahead of them? What kind of opposition or challenges? that they might have faced. 
Right. Well, and I think even when they got there and they saw the ruins that were there, they also didn't see anyone who wanted to have that land. It looked like it was all for them. So they wouldn't expect anyone to come and be upset that they were there rebuilding. True. And so for those maybe who aren't familiar with the story, what Karen is referring to is the city of Jerusalem was decimated. Like it was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The walls, which would have been a, that's how ancient civilizations kept themselves safe from other people groups, those were torn down as well. And so I appreciate what you're saying, Karen, is looking at it like, who would want this? <laughs> I lived after devastating category four hurricanes with everything decimated, everything flattened around. And, and looking at that, and that's when my children and I studied these books. My kids would have thought, but who would have wanted it? <laughs> Right. It looks terrible, but they wanted it because it was their home and we want to rebuild our home. Right, right. Well, I think that's another good point to our listeners, just kind of drawing an analogy here. We probably won't be called to rebuild the city, although some people, some of our listeners might actually, if you're in areas that have been, had hurricanes or wars, but we might be called to rebuild a marriage. We might be called to rebuild a ministry. We might be called to rebuild a relationship. And at that ground level, sometimes we can see just rubble and feel like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm glad you brought up what your children said, like, why would they want this? And maybe sometimes when we are facing a big challenge, maybe we're thinking like, I don't know that I want this assignment. So maybe the opposition can even be within us. Well, and then even though the king says anyone who wants to go, there's 2 million people or Jews in Babylon at that time that have been in exile and only 50,000 said yes to go. And so we know not everyone did. Right. And that means that those who went had to really have a heart and a calling to go. True. And I wonder what all they left behind. Like we said at the beginning, 900 miles is a long way. You don't know what you're going to encounter when you get there. Did any of their friends, their neighbors, their bosses? I mean, they had jobs, right? They were supporting themselves in some way. Did people say, hey, don't go. Let somebody else go. You stay here where it's nice and comfortable, wherever it's not such hard work. Everyone has obstacles and not everyone understands what you are encountering in those obstacles, just like we don't know what all they encountered or what negative voices they heard as they faced that. Right. I also wonder too, if their expectations, you know, when I, when I think of ancient Israel's history, and especially during the time of judges, where they would follow this predictable, really sad, predictable cycle where the people would rebel against God, they would turn to idolatry and all sorts of wickedness, like they become violent, and they would oppress people and engage in temple prostitution and child sacrifice. I mean, these were horrific things, right? And then and then God would remove his protective hand, and another country would come in and raid them and, and conquer them and oppress them. And then every time that happened, they they would repent. They would cry out to God. God would raise up a ruler, a judge. And it was normally a warrior ruler who would then lead the nation into overthrowing their oppressors. And they would experience this. And through miraculous, like God would overthrow their these armies in miraculous ways. And then they would experience a season of peace. And so here they are. They, they're kind of following that pattern again, right? Like they had sinned. 
sinned. They'd rebelled against God and Babylon, Assyria came in and conquered them and, and carried them off to exile. And they've been living there for 70 years. And here we see, okay, we're repenting. We're coming back. We want to live under God's God's authority. So where's our ruler warrior that's going to remove <laughs> all of our oppressors and make everything work out and, and institute this great peace. I mean, I know, obviously I'm making all these assumptions. I don't know if that's what they thought, but that's where my mind, I think, would have traveled had I been them. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com. You're always going to say, who's going to be the ones that are going to help take care of us and who's going to take charge and be able to do things, you know, with my husband being in the Coast Guard, when we had that big cat four hurricane in Miami, he brought in Coast Guard people, the people who worked wow. under him. And he was, you know, got permission and did that. They got a special medal for it, actually. And they came up at, from the Keys where that happened, that unit happened to be. And they started helping out and then they went down, helped with Coast Guard housing and they helped with other things that happened in that area. These people weren't going to have those organizations that those didn't exist for them. And right, right. <laughs> Plus, they knew God's calling a holy people to come, not just anyone who wants to show up, which we notice as we go into Ezra a little more. Right. And I wonder if opposition is more challenging to deal with when it hits us by surprise. If we knew, I mean, we do know it's coming because scripture says, right? <laughs> Jesus said, you're going to face opposition. People will hate you. Watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation. But still, I, I don't typically expect it when it comes. And then I feel like I'm caught off guard and it takes me a while. I normally react normally in fear, anxiety, irritation, you know, all these things, which actually come from fear and anxiety. And then I have to pause and get to like, okay, where's God in this? What's he calling me to do? I need to work on changing that saying, okay, when opposition hits before I freak out, I'm going to hit pause and say, okay, God, what's going on here? Who are my allies? What's my next step? Right. And there are those times, you know, when my, we first saw the doctor after some testing and found out my husband had terminal breast cancer and they only thought he could live two to three months. Wow. Two and a half years, God gave us a big gift. That wasn't any kind of opposition in our life we had expected. That was like a big shock to us because he was this tall, thin, strong man in the Coast Guard. And he'd been retired at that point, but he's still traveling the world, designing shipyards. And all of a sudden, boom, and you think, okay, now what? Right. So here's, well, I guess here's a, we'll get into more like how Ezra and Nehemiah responded, which I think has great lessons for us. But I would like to hear from you in that moment of opposition. How did you respond? Like, how did you get through that frightening period? Well, right afterwards, we went home and we actually, it was interesting. My son was, my oldest son was in Iraq. So his wife and children were living with us and they were toddler and, and just preschool. So we're looking around and saying, all right, there are three things that could happen. Happen. 
God could heal you. You could end up so bad that you're in a vegetable state, but you're alive, or God could take you to heaven. Can we look at all three and say, whatever you want, it's fine, God. And that's what we did. So we had a lot of peace about it saying, we don't know which direction it's going in, but we know it's in God's hands. And anytime you have opposition, something happening, if you just say, but this is in God's hands, it's so much easier. And we just took a gift of every day. It turned out to be two and a half years. And except for the last few weeks, he was really in fairly good shape. So that was wonderful. And it was a great gift, but we knew something else would come possibly, you know, we didn't know what, but we didn't. And God actually gave him a vision. So we knew a little bit more about what would happen. And you don't always have that, but we did. So at that time, that's, and our, our neighbors were amazed and it really was a big witness to them because they felt, how can you not be so down and so upset? How can you just be smiling about this? And, you know, there were people who came and, and did help us that were Christians that knew us and wanted to do that. That's awesome. And we do actually see that in this story too, that people coming together and working together with Ezra and Nehemiah, the two prominent leaders in the Jerusalem rebuilding project. And as I read through both of those sections of scripture, which they occurred at different times, Ezra and Nehemiah, they come into the story at different times, but their stories in many ways, their experiences parallel. That's why we're discussing them combined. But I'm struck by how often a God-given assignment, it starts with a God-given burden. And we see that in the beginning when we get to Nehemiah chapter one. So basically what's happened, Ezra has gone back with Zerubbabel earlier and they've been delayed. Like they start out strong and then they delay the project. And then Nehemiah, it's his turn to kind of come in. Some people come back from Jerusalem and he asked, hey, how are the exiles, the surviving exiles, how are they doing? And the people basically said, they are not doing good. Those who survived, this is from Nehemiah 1 verse 3, they replied, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And then we read in verse four, this is from Nehemiah writing, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So his heart was broken. It was broken for his people and it was broken for for God, for the state of the city, which was supposed to, Jerusalem was supposed to, and the temple to reveal God's glory and, and who he was to the nations. And so he is just broken. And I'm struck by how often a God-given mission begins with just this heavy burden that we had a guest on not long ago, and he founded, it's called Worthwhile Wear, and it's an organization that helps rescue women from sex trafficking. And it started with him with where his heart was broken to hear what was happening to women being trafficked. And he didn't just stay in his broken heart and say, okay, I'm sad. This is terrible. I'm going to shut down. I'm going to, I'm going to occupy my mind with social media. He prayed through it. Mm -hmm. And then God ignited this passion that is transforming lives across the globe. Yes, you have that. And you can have one person like Nehemiah when his heart was broken after he went through and around those gates and saw it all. And he ends up with this big pile of rubbish, even has dung in with it. And then he says, then God had given him an idea and he calls the people together. And 
he's moved past all that time he had while he was still in Susa praying and the time he was working for the king, but now he's seen it himself. And now he's got a plan from God and he calls them together. They've been sitting in this rubbish and he says, we can do this. And that broken heart led to a great leader, a prayerful leader and his vision of what he had that he could transform to them and say, but look at what will happen because God is with us and he's already been helping. That gives them that plan, that whole thing. You know, and Ezra, when he brings those people together, they start off with building an altar and they worship to God. And all of these things is what inspires the people. But the leader is the one who's had that first big broken heart. Right. And I love how you mentioned worship because even before Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem, he turns to God and he prays like his first response, his heart is broken. And then he, he prays to God, acknowledging who God is. And I'm struck First of all, I, I think that's where his leadership came from, right? Like this deep connection and the strength that carried him through. That was probably a pattern because you don't just in the middle of crisis suddenly become really strong in prayer, right? Like that's typically a pattern that has developed. And I'm also struck by when you read in scripture. So here he is and, and he's he wept and he's sorrowful and the king noticed. So he was the, a cupbearer to the king. So this is a really high, very trusted position. And the king noticed he was sorrowful. And, and scripture says that he was afraid. And scholars suggest that maybe it was illegal to show your sorrow in front of the king. And so I think that took, took courage. But I'm also, when I consider that the king said, hey, what's wrong? What's going on? I'm struck by the fact that Nehemiah, it appears, had gained favor, influence with the king. And we gain favor and influence by being faithful where we're at now, right? Yes. yes. And he was the cupbearer, the one who had to taste the wine or whatever the liquids were before the king drank from it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. He's the cupbearer who has to stand silently, just holding the cup for whenever the king wants to sit. And doing that, he would have observed this ruler and seen what he had done. And that in itself was another part of the training to become a leader. We think we're in this lowly position and we have to take advantage of whatever it is, even if it appears to be lowly, to learn from that. Right. So trusting, you, you said earlier, trusting that it's in God's hands. And so even whatever position we're at, that he has good plans for us. He's not wasting our time. He's not wasting our gifts. He's actually building into us. I love how you reminded us that God was using that time as he's waiting on the king to teach him strong, strong leadership. And that reminds me of our own journeys. When a really big assignment comes, it can feel like, at least for me, it can feel like it just, it comes on suddenly and I wasn't expecting it and I'm not prepared for it. But when I look back and I can see the building blocks that God has been doing. And so if he opens this door, if he calls us to this assignment, it's very natural, I think, to recognize that apart from him, we are insufficient, we're ill-prepared, but with him, he will give us everything we need to fulfill whatever responsibility, whether that is, and I, I think both happen simultaneously, building into our soul what we need for that role, the skill set, the knowledge, the experience, the intimacy with him, but then also bringing other people along to come. And, and in this story, we see so many people coming along. It wasn't Ezra rebuilding the city. It wasn't Nehemiah rebuilding the city or Zerubbabel rebuilding the city. It was them with the help of Cyrus, a, a ruler. And then just all of these people played these different parts, 
But ultimately, because we may feel like we're alone in the struggle or in a fight, but like you mentioned earlier, to see God was orchestrating everything they would need from a financial perspective, human perspective, spiritual perspective to complete what he had called them to do. And I would say that in my life, and sometimes it's these tiny things that happen to build that skill set. I and my cousin next door, we would go up to grandma's house after school every day and have tea with her, followed by we'd have to be learning whether it was embroidery, knitting, crocheting, whatever it was. And she called it our rip and stitch club where we did more ripping than stitching. And it's because we had to rip back to fix mistakes and bring it back up to where it had been. And all that time of persistence is what helped me later when I was called to be a writer and learn all about editing, having <laughs> to redo those words. But also when it came to the time even of rebuilding after a big hurricane and other disasters that I had in my life to know that we can have restoration after we've had something that's fallen apart or that has to come apart to make things right. So you may think this little thing you're doing or something that you're working on to build character in your child is just to build character, but it's also building what God wants to use in the future for them. That's beautiful. And I especially love your analogy about the rip and stitch, because I'm thinking in terms of for those who are trying to rebuild relational issues, and mm -hmm. there's been maybe dysfunction that has seeped in. So when my husband and I, we actually almost got divorced years ago, we've been married 27 years, 20, 28. <laughs> I don't remember, but he's really good at dates. So I'm not. But when my daughter was like three, so we've been married four or five years, and we thought we were going to get a divorce. We just were not healthy in how we were responding to one another. Well, we couldn't just start from this really, this marriage in rubble, and then all of a sudden rebuild. We had to stop what we were doing that was creating the damage, our rip, like, you know, the rip, we had to rip out, like, mm -hmm. this is not yes. how God is calling us to engage with one another. And then we had to rebuild. Yes. And you often have to do that. You, you know, it's not just you can paint over the damage because on a drywall, you've got to rip it out and put in new drywall. If you're making this sweater and you've done something wrong, you have to rip back and make it right. And yes, in a relationship, you have to say, what do we have to forgive? What do we have to strip away that we can't cling to? And now how do we rebuild that and weave ourselves together again? Yeah. And I'll probably just mention one other relationship challenge because I just got done with a conference today listening to other parents of adult children. And it's very, very common when your kids are 18, 19, 20, early 20s that they'll, they begin to process through their childhood and recognize things that were hurtful. And they, if they feel safe enough with you, they'll bring that to your attention. And that can feel very frightening because in the rip stage, you may think, what if we never get to the stitch stage? Like there's that fear. And so that fear can cause us to remain stuck in the rubble. But if we can remember, like, I love that you brought that up earlier, and I'm going to keep going back to it, that God is in this, that he's doing this. And he always calls us to hope and to freedom. He doesn't burden our hearts just to leave us broken, right? He reveals something to transform us. And that can give us the courage to do the ripping that we need to do, knowing that the stitching is coming. Right. And, you know, and I think that's where we can look back to the things in our childhood that maybe went wrong, but what got fixed and how did it get fixed? Because that's part of that experience to know we have the hope that whatever, no matter how much worse it seems to be, God has a way to help us fix that and repair it and rebuild, restore those relationships. And, you know, and Nehemiah and Ezra both first worked on the restoration of the buildings, but then they went to the restorations of the hearts of the people. 
That's very good. Looking at oppositions that we might face prior to even beginning our journey, because I think we all will wrestle when we get this assignment. When we look at Nehemiah's journey as well, so we had that 900 mile journey to take and he was leaving a prestigious position. And if you think about he every step, right? That's nine, I don't know how many steps is 900 miles, but a lot. And we can think when we begin on our journey and it can look like we have so many steps ahead of us and mm-hmm. are we ever going to get there? We don't maybe don't even know. Like for me, God usually only shows me that very next step probably because I would get so overwhelmed. If you were to be like, okay, in, in, in 20 miles, you're going to do this. So for us, I think just focusing on that very next step. Yeah. Considering there's 5,280 miles in a mile, uh, steps in a mile. Wow. That's a lot of steps. Right. We're talking about over 4 million steps wow. to, make to get there. And then when he gets there, well, he rests for a little bit, then he steps and walks and, you know, and goes around this wall. And then he steps forward as a leader and calls the people to him. And so he's done all this on the journey. Now he, like Ezra, was equipped. The king gave him everything he asked for, gave him letters to let him pass letters to give him wood on the way, the lumber that he would need and all these things. So they parallel each other in that how they were so blessed at the beginning of the journey and possibly wouldn't have expected the opposition. These people have watched him come in, not just come in, but with all the supplies that he's bringing with them, thinking, wow, we're ready to do this. And then he calls up and says, God gave me a plan. Look how his hand, the hand of God has been on me. And he may have been when he said that looking, pointing to all the supplies he had with him. And so they're ready to say, yes, we can do this. Not ready for what's going to come next of more opposition. <laughs> right. And we're actually going to talk about that in the next episode. Karen's going to be joining me again. So make sure to return for that. Before we leave, Karen, can you tell us a little about your book, your latest release? My latest release is Growing a Joyful Heart. And that also has a lot of obstacles of choosing joy when you have an obstacle in front of you. And when there's something there, I started that book with the girlfriend, Pam Farrell, and immediately she went into a coma and was in the hospital. And yesterday, two days ago, was one year from when she had that coma. And I had just come out myself a year before that from pneumonia. And so we had our health obstacles as we went into this book. It was very interesting to do it. But we both said, we're going to choose joy. If God has given us this contract, he knows we're going to complete it. So that's one of the things we have to think about. And then you had mentioned the stories of faith and courage from the home front, which that's a daily devotion of what happened during war times on the home front for our women and families and children and some of the politicians and all the struggles they had where they continually chose to have courage and overcome fear and have faith in God. Awesome. Well, those sound like really great books. And thank you again for joining us today, Karen. And I look forward to the second part of our conversation when we really unpack some of the external opposition that Ezra and Nehemiah at different time periods experienced as they were working to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple, build the altar. So I hope that you'll join us. Well, thank you for listening. I hope this gave you some encouragement, maybe some things to think about, maybe an invitation 
just to invite God into whatever you're struggling with this week, this month. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe and then you won't miss a single episode. We'd also be encouraged if you would rate it. That encourages our team and it helps others to find it as well. Make sure to share it wherever you share your podcast content. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Faith Over Fear is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.